so blessed around here. I came in this morning and just uh, once again said, I love, I love this place. I love what God's doing. I love that he's continually molding and shaping us. And uh, Today is Corporate Sunday, so everybody stays in the sanctuary. No, no transformation station, no youth, but we are blessed today. We're going to have Shane Danks, who with his wife and another group of team, young adult team, leads our youth. And uh, just uh, give him your attention as he speaks to us about a church called Fearless. Excited about this. Lovely man. Morning, church. Like Pastor Jeff said, my name's Shane, and I help lead the uh, teenagers here, for those of you guys that don't know me. Um, and it's cool to be down here because we kind of get to give you guys a glimpse of what we do when we all herd out of here in, in the middle of service and go upstairs, which really is about the same thing that you guys do down here, but I'm funnier than Pastor Mark. And I'm, and I'm not quite as good of a Christian as Pastor Jeff, so that's what, that's what you guys get to look forward to today. Anyway, um, I heard Pastor Ben's message last week was called uh, Jesus Isn't worried. And I thought, man, isn't that so fitting? Because uh, my message today is called the church called fearless. And um, this is something that's been on my heart for a while. I might be just repeating Pastor Ben last week. I don't know. I didn't get to hear his message. But um, if that's if that's the case, then somebody wasn't listening. Right. So it's probably Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, honestly, this, ver this message has been on my heart for a long time, um, something that I've been um, thinking about, and mainly because God has been challenging me through this um, and through this word that he's placed on my heart for today. Um, uh, this is something that I think over the course of the past couple months, we've kind of got um, the privilege of witnessing um, God is uh, doing a work here. And I think that this is uh, mainly just kind of a microscopic uh, vision that we get to see of the bigger work that God is doing, because I think that what he's calling us into, he's not just calling us as abundant life into because we're his favorite. He's calling all of his body into, all churches, all Christians. He's calling you as an individual into something. And I think that that thing that God is kind of calling us into is, a, is a, um, an active communion with him. And I say active communion because... Um, you know, I think that it starts with that uh, deeper communion in your personal life, in your prayer life. It starts with you um, spending that time with him, that quality time studying and praying. It starts with you being free in your worship, um, but it overflows into the other aspects of your life. Maybe the aspects of your life that you don't normally relate with your Christianity, your work, and the things you do, the people that you relate with, the people that you influence. And I think that that's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to um, fulfill that calling of being his people, um, not just here at church, not within these walls, but all over the place. Um, there's this verse in Ephesians um, chapter 4, verse 1. And Paul is writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, and he says, I, Paul, am a prisoner for serving the Lord. Beg you to live a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. He, he's sitting in prison and he says that, I beg you to live a life worthy of, of, of your calling. He's sitting in prison and he says, I've lived a life worthy of this calling. I'm sitting in prison and I'm telling you that it's 100% worth it. It's so worth it. 
And so I'm going to speak today um, a little bit about the church called Fearless. And I'm going to read a little bit out of um, Numbers, which is kind of a weird book to go to. You don't hear a whole lot about Numbers. You don't typically, looking for inspiration in the Bible, you don't typically uh, pop open Numbers and start reading. You'll find it. You just got to do a little digging. So I'm going to read a little bit out of Numbers uh, chapter 13. Uh, verse 20, 25 through 33, and I'm going to um, hop over into 14. But just to kind of give you guys a catch-up on what we're reading here, kind of tell you guys where we're at, um, Moses has led his people, um, the Israelites, out of slavery, out of oppression. He's led them out of Egypt, and he's led them, um, God has split the Red Sea, they've traveled through the Red Sea, they've walked through the wilderness, and they've come to the very edge of Canaan. They've come to the very edge of this land that has been promised to them for a long time, the very edge of this land that God has led them to overtake. And Moses um, comes to this land, and he's leading these people, and he says, before we go and enter this land, maybe we should go and check it out first. So he gets 12 spies together, one from each tribe, and he sends them to inspect this land that God has promised them. And these spies uh, come back with this report, and they come back with a bunch of fruit. It actually says that um, they found these grapevines that were so big that they had to carry them amongst two people on a stick between two people. And they come back with this report, and this is what they say in uh, verse 25 through 33. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what had they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore and it is indeed bountiful, a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants living there, descendants of the Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other man, men had explored the land disagreed. We can't go against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, descendants of the Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Over into 14. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a giant chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only had we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord t taking us to this country and only have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted amongst themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, 
The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is rich and flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people in the land. They are only helpless prey to us. We have, they have no protection, but we, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all of, all the Israelites in the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. So the people rebel against God. They don't want to go into this land that God has promised them because they're afraid of what they have to face to get into the land. And God says he's going to destroy them. Moses cries out to God and says, you can't do this. This is going to, um, it's going to hurt your legacy. The, pe- it's, the word's going to get back to Egypt, and they're going to know that you brought these people out here just to kill them. And so God changes his mind. And he says, I won't destroy them, but not a single one of them who rebelled against me will ever enter the land that I have promised them. They'll never enter it. As you fast forward ahead, you actually find Moses um, also getting, getting struck with disobedience. He disobeys, disobeys God, and God says that Moses himself will never enter the land. Moses, who led these people all the way there to the land, would never see the promised land. So Moses comes to the end of his life, and God leads him up a mountain. And Moses looks out over this mountain range into this promised land that was promised to him and his people, but he was afraid to take the steps into that land because he was afraid of the battles that he was going to face to conquer that land. And he died there. That was it. He looked over the mountain range, he looked over Canaan, and he died on top of a mountain. That'd be a pretty, pretty sad way to end that, but that's not where God finished that off. He wasn't done with these people, and his promise wasn't going to be left unfulfilled. So, Joshua chapter 1, we kind of pick up this story. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I've given to you. From the Ajeev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Ephrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all of the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord is with you wherever you go. You know, 
three times in that, in that little paragraph, God is having this dialogue with uh, Joshua. And three times he says, be strong and courageous. And as if Joshua, if that didn't work real well for him, he actually finishes it off with, don't be afraid or discouraged. And you know what that tells me about Joshua? If it tells me anything about Joshua, it tells me that Joshua was scared. You know why? Because God is not sitting there for Joshua, and he's, Joshua's already sitting there strong and courageous, and God's saying, be strong and courageous three times. No, Joshua's fearful. He's afraid of what he's about to go do. He's willing. He's willing, but he's afraid of it. And that reminded me of, of when I was young, and, um, you know, we were some hill, we were a hillbilly family, you know, we did some wild things, and, um, you know, my dad would sometimes um, encourage us to do things that were maybe like a little bit um, scary for us, they were a little um, sketchy maybe, my mom probably wouldn't have approved of them, <laughs> my, my dad would encourage us to do these things, and um, whenever he would encourage us to do that, I would be scared. And um, I could almost hear him saying it. He would always say, Shane, I promise I will not let you get hurt. I promise I won't let you get hurt. When have I ever let you get hurt? And, you know, I could never think of a time in my life where my dad's ever said that to me and I ended up getting hurt. Every time that he said, I promise that I will not let you get hurt, I would do this crazy thing, not because I wanted to, just because I had to, because he was encouraging me to. And I would do it, and I would not get hurt. And when I think about those times, I think, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't because I, all of a sudden I, I ripped off this fear, and I was a fearless soldier about to go do this crazy thing. I was terrified throughout the whole process. I was, I was scared of it. I was scared of doing these things. But I would do them anyway, and the only reason I would do them anyway was because the only thing greater than the fear inside of me was the trust that my dad meant what he said when he said that he would not let me get hurt. When he said that he would make sure that I was going to be okay, I trusted him more than I trusted the fear that was inside of me that, that I was going to get hurt. And you know, I think so often we come to our calling. We come to this, this point of our life where God is going to open up the door to his presence that on the other side of this calling is this giant wave of his presence that we get to experience in our life where we fulfill the purpose that we have been created for and we stand face to face with this fear that we have to conquer. And the question that it comes down to is very simple. Do you trust your father more than you trust the fear that you're facing? You know, as you started to, as you start to um, read the story of Joshua and you go through this story, something starts to change in Joshua. Um, Joshua starts to experience God. So at first you see Joshua stepping out, and Joshua is stepping out. Um, he's scared. And you could, you could see it by the way God's talking to him that he's scared. You know another hint that Joshua was scared? Joshua crosses over the river, the Jordan River, into the land of Canaan. He's right on the other side of the river, so he's probably gone, I don't know how big the river is, maybe he's gone 20 feet to the other side of the river, and now he's standing on the other side, and he says, before we do anything, let's everybody, each of you tribes of Israel, grab a stone, and we're going to build a monument here. Why would you build a monument right on the other side of the river? And you know why I think he built that monument? Because he knew that at some point he may come to a point where fear is going to challenge him. 
And if he decides he's going to run, he's going to come back to this monument, and he's going to remember all the things that God has done for him. And he was going to, he's going to continue in his journey. He's not going to be overcome by fear. I was um, kind of recently on this little um, video spree. You know those ones that you start off watching like a documentary about World War II and then you end up watching like goats doing parkour off of each other or something like that? I was on one of those recently and I came to this video and the video was just funny at the time but as I was preparing this message, um, God started to use this to kind of show me something. And this video was of this little... Um, um, kid he I mean he's probably 21 years old and he's at this nightclub and he just got kicked out of this nightclub by this bouncer that's like three times the size of him and he's right outside the doors of this nightclub and he's getting in this bouncer's face and he's obviously a little intoxicated and he's telling this bouncer what's up and the bouncer picks him up and he chucks him like he's a like a little rag doll throws him on the ground and the kid pops back up and he gets right in the the bouncer's face, and he says the most intimidating thing you could ever say to somebody. He says, do you know who my dad is? And, and that's funny. I mean, I probably, I laughed at the time. That was funny. But at the same time, as you watch Joshua, Joshua goes from the guy being told, be strong and courageous, to the guy saying to his people, be strong and courageous. Because God, Joshua started to, to, to know God. He started to experience him, and that fear started just, dropping off of him. All of a sudden, he trusted, he trusted his God so much that fear wasn't even a factor for him. I mean, he, was, he didn't even consider it. It was like Joshua was standing in the face of all of these battles against these giants. Remember, Joshua seen the same giants that the other, 12, or other 10 spies seen. Joshua and Caleb seen the same giants. They seen the, they seen the same battles. They were going to face the same guys. And Joshua, knowing that he's about to go face a giant fight against a fortified city with men much greater than he is, is telling his people, be strong and courageous. And if I could simplify that down to something modern-day term, I would simplify that down to Joshua standing in the face of his battle and saying, do you know who my dad is? And you know what? I don't, I don't even think that that's like the end of it. I don't think Joshua's the only story. Actually, when you look throughout the entire Bible, you start seeing these stories over and over again where these guys are facing these challenges. You look at David facing Goliath, and David stands across and looks across this valley at Goliath who's, who's uh, mocking the Israelite army. And he says, who does this uncircumcised Philistine think he is that he can defile the armies of the living God? If you could modernize that a little bit, it'd sound a little bit like, does this punk know who my dad is? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're standing before the king, and the king says, either you're going to bow down to me, or I'm going to throw you into that furnace, and you're going to die. And he says, do you know who my dad is? Just for good measure, you got to see what happens with Joshua. Joshua goes through this land, and he conquers everything that God tells him he's going to conquer. And at the end of it, in Joshua 21, 40 through 45, it says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all of their enemies. 
Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Not a single one of all the good things, good promises the Lord had given to the land of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. You know what I believe? I believe that on the other side of this fear, on the other side of this um, this calling, on the other side of this promise, on the other side of this challenge, if that's what it looks like to you, is this verse right here. I think on the other side of your fear that you might get let down, that God might not show up, on the other side of your doubt, and on the other side of your worry, is this verse right here. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to you was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. But that takes a little bit from us. Because fear still stands in front of us. It still challenges us. It still begs us not to do the things that are big, that seem bigger than us, that seem more than we are. It still, it still challenges us, and we still have to trust God. It's crazy to think that we would we would just, um, fear would just drop off like, like Satan would no longer use fear. But I'll tell you what, fear starts to change a little bit when you start to experience his goodness. When you start to step out in, in, in his calling, you start to step into that calling. When you start to experience God for who he is, when you start to look at God as the father that he is and you start to own that sonship that is within you, you start to decide that I am a child of God. Yeah. I am who he says I am. And I'm going to live up to that. I'm going to live up to the calling that he's called me to be. I'm not going to be fearful. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be held back by any of that. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of uh, encouragement here. I'm going to impart some courage. And, and I can't do that by telling you how good you are um, because that doesn't work for me. Um, but I can tell you who you are, and I can tell you who he is. In uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, or 1 through 13, what's happening here is Jesus rose, rode his boat up on, on some sketchy land. And uh, we'll see just how scared Jesus isn't when he rose his boat up on this land. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in a region of uh, Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the cemetery to meet, meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me, for Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. 
Then the evil spirits begged him again not to send them into some distance, distant place. There happened to be a, a large herd of pigs feeding on the nearby hillside. Send us into those pe- pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down into the steep hillside, into the lake, and drowned in the water. You know, when you you read that, and you read that word legion, I think that's kind of important to understand that. That word legion comes from a Roman legion, which is actually the largest group of, of Roman soldiers, thousands of soldiers, the largest group of, of the Roman army. And so when this, this um, man filled with evil speaks, when the evil speaks from within him, he calls himself legion, which means this is an army of evil living inside one man. And you, you know, when I picture Jesus hopping out of this boat to confront this man, because I think Jesus went, went in there with one goal and one intention, he was, he was the light, and he's stepping into that darkness, and that darkness is going to feel him. Yeah. And you know what? He steps onto that, that ground, and I could almost, I could almost feel like this, the evil spirits, this army of evil living within this man could feel like an earthquake, the presence of Jesus on that land. When Jesus' feet hit the ground, it was probably like thunder coming after him, like thunder just coming after that evil within that man. And you know, what the guy, you know what the evil spirits, this army of evil does? It begs for mercy at the feet of our king. An yeah. army of evil begs for mercy at the feet of our king. Yes. You know, the Bible says that we are called children of the light, which means that when we face darkness with intention in our hearts, the darkness begs for mercy at the feet of our king. Jesus, Jesus left us with the power to run out the darkness. But he didn't just leave us with the power to run out the darkness. He left us with the calling to run out the darkness. When, it, when this verse says um, to live a life worthy of your calling, it means that you are called to live as a child of the light. You're called to chase out the darkness in your communities, in the relationships with the people that you have. You're meant to call out that darkness. You're meant to chase it out of town. You know, I believe that Jesus is still that same God. He's still that same Savior. Where's Mike at? Where's Mike Benner at? Is he still in here? You know, I don't know where Mike's at, but I just want to say, and this is probably for more than just one person, you know, I believe that cancer still begs for mercy at the feet of our king. I believe that depression and anxiety and addiction still begs for mercy at the feet of our king. And we're called to be a church that, that embraces that spirit of fearlessness that embraces that spirit to say, you know what, I, I wake up in the morning and when my feet hit the ground, Satan is going to feel me. He's going to hear me today. And you know, I, I think, what does it look like when we start to embrace that spirit of fearlessness? 
when we start to live as a church that is called fearless, that word called doesn't just mean that we are recognized as fearless. It means that we are called by the Almighty God to live as fearless, which means we will be recognized as a church that is fearless. And I think, what does that look like? And it's funny that you guys, what's, what's her name down here? Your, your, your what? Sherry? It's funny that you shared your story today because I think, man, that is, that is powerful. And that's what it means to live a life that is fearless, to live a life worthy of your calling. I, um, I watched this video maybe like a year ago. It was a sermon by Carl Lentz, who's the pastor of Hillsong, New York City. And um, the sermon was called A Weapon Called Worship. And he told this story in, in this sermon that, I mean, I will remember until the rest, for the rest of my life, I will be telling this story. Um, he told this story about this lady. She was this little Puerto Rican lady that went to, his, went to her church, and she was on her sixth bout with cancer. Six of them. She had conquered cancer five times, and she was back in the cancer hospital with cancer again. And Carl said he had to go and visit this lady and he was a little bit nervous because this is not something that anybody wants to do. And so he got in his car and he was driving and he was praying. And um, he gets to the hospital, the cancer hospital. And he walks into this lady's room. And this lady is full of joy. I mean, she is just overcome with joy. And he sits there and talks with her for a while. And it's, it kind of catches him off guard because he expects her to be facing these challenges in, in, in the way that he would probably have faced them in a fearful way, in a um, in a in a um, heavy way, and she's just facing him with, with, with total freedom and joy. And at the end of this uh, meeting with her, he, uh, he asks her, he says, you know, how, how do you face these, these things that you're going through? How do you face them with the joy that you have? I don't, I don't see how you can go through this five times and just to come back here for a sixth time to face this again. And she said, I know that I'm here because Satan has put me here. And I'm going to make him pay. <laughs> and you know what? He paid with the, the eternities of 14 doctors and nurses that came to the saving knowledge of Jesus because that woman embraced her freedom. She embraced her fearlessness. She embraced the fact that I'm on this earth for a purpose and you can put whatever you want in front of me. I'm not going to become overcome by fearfulness. I'm not going to be overcome by my situation. I'm going to face it head on and I'm going to know who my dad is. And we're called to live with that same spirit in us. We're called to wake up in the morning and, and go out with the intent of serving God in that way. And when we do, when, when a church, when a group of people, when you as an individual, when us as collectively as a group decide that we're going to live in a way that is totally fearless, that no situation is going to come, come between us and who our dad is, that we're going to stare in the face of every darkness, every hardship, and we're going to know that I'm an overcomer not because of who I am, but because who my dad is. 
and we get to live that out. This, is, this isn't uh, duty. This is, a, this is a privilege. We get to live in that, in that fearlessness. We get to own that. And, man, I want you guys to, to go back into this world. I don't want you to leave because this has been challenging me. I hope that it challenges you. I hope that you go back into this world and you go back into your life and you face these situations with that spirit of fearlessness. Because I feel like God is standing before us and he's stiffening up our shoulders. And he's saying, I've got some challenges ahead of you, but I'll tell you what, I've got some glory on the other side of it. And you're going to experience it if you're willing to, to go. Pastor Jeff keeps asking this one question that we read out of, I think it was the Holy Fire book. And he says, how, how far are you willing to go for God? And we need to really examine ourselves on that. We need to be willing to look in the mirror and say, am I going to let, what am I going to let fear stand in the way of today? And the answer's got to be nothing. I, used to, I tell the teens often that usually when there's fear in something, when, when, when Satan is challenging you with fear, it's because Satan knows that whatever's on the other side of that fear is his glory. And he knows that whatever's on the other side of that fear is not only going to change you, it's going to change the people around you. It's going to change your church. It's going to change your community. And it might just change the world. And so when you, when you see that fear, you need to recognize it for what it is. That fear isn't real. It's an illusion of Satan making you think that you're not good enough for something. But you don't have to be good enough for something because he is good enough. He is enough. I want to leave you guys with that encouragement. I want to pray for you. If you're one of our prayer team, you guys can come up. And if you guys need prayer today, if you, if you need encouraged today, if you just need filled with a little bit of courage, you need to, you're facing some fear in your life, you're facing some hardship in your life, and you need somebody to lift you up, that's what these guys come up here for. They're here to do that with you. Lord, we are, uh, we are humbled by who you are. Lord, we're thankful that you sit beside us, that you stand with us. And you, and you tell us that I promise I won't let you get hurt. And Lord, we're thankful just as you just as you accomplished everything, every promise that you intended to accomplish with, with Joshua, you will, you will conquer everything and, and accomplish everything that you intended for us if we're willing, Lord. And we stand here today to say that we're willing, God. We're willing. We'll be your hands and feet. We'll step into the darkness and bring the light, Lord. We won't be fearful. We'll strip off that fear, not because it's of who we are, but because we know who you are, God. And Lord, we just give this week to you. We give this month to you. We give this year to you, Lord. Let us commit our hearts to who you are and let us live in that spirit of fearlessness that you've placed within us. And we love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.